Welcome to the serialized audiobook of The Rookie, Season 1 of the Galactic Football League series. Written and performed by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler. The Rookie is also available in print, ebook, and unabridged audiobook. For links to purchase any version, visit scottsigler.com slash the rookie. The Deuce had no haven for Purist Nation expatriates, so Rick Warburg decided to stay in the demolition building. Quentin had no intention of staying in. He opted for dinner with Yasud and John Tweedy. The city's bizarre architecture drew him out into the streets. INS City was orderly and new, a highly regimented place built with careful planning and meticulous attention to detail. The Deuce, on the other hand, felt far more organic. Not just streets, but entire levels had sprung up over the centuries, many without any official sanction or knowledge. Caverns and tunnels, both rough and smoothly engineered, ran through the artificial planetoid like a giant termite colony. Like Ionath City and Port Wittock, the football stadium lay in a bustling downtown area packed with many species, noise, grav cars, and multiple forms of entertainment. It surprised him to see so many representatives of the different races. Some of the human families, he'd been told, had lived on the deuce for eight or more generations, two centuries of life, and considered themselves citizens of the Quith Concordia, with no association whatsoever to the human systems. Quentin thought of his own lineage. His ancestors had come over on the first flotilla, some 240 years ago. A great-great-great-grandfather, supposedly, had come from some place on Earth called Dallas. Quentin only remembered that tidbit because one of the original football teams had played there. He and his parents, and his parents' parents before him, thought of themselves as citizens of the purest nation, as separate from Earth as the human citizens of the Deuce were to any human government. Still, It was hard to think of humans proudly boasting their citizenship to a nation of radioactivity-proof aliens. Buildings towered above, some reaching a mile into the air. The green crystalline mass that made up the building's frameworks looked bubbly, almost alive, with the soft ripples and curves of a large icicle. Massive arcs of that same green crystal reached from building to building, across narrow spans, across streets, some across entire blocks. Some arcs reached from a building to another arc, and a few even ran from one arc to another, forming a stringy, organic latticework. Bet you never saw anything like this back on the farm, eh, Quentin? Yasud said, as the trio headed to the first building with a holographic football-slash-beer-bottle sign. You can say that again. Virak told me to watch my back in this place. I hear it's dangerous. Relax, backwater, Tweedy said with a grin. We're football players. Nobody's going to mess with us. We can beat the tar out of them, and no one can send us to jail. GFL immunity is great, I tell you. Let's just enjoy the place and tie one on tonight. Oh, yep, Yasud said. Let us delve into the seedy underbelly of this strange and alien city. As if pulled by some unseen magnetism, Yasud and Tweedy suddenly turned as one and walked towards a door marked with a familiar glowing sign of a football on top of a Miller logo. Quentin paused before entering. The bar was so packed part of the crowd stood on the street, mag glasses in hand, 
where Ionass City and Port Wittock had species-specific areas. This bar seemed to have everything. Humans, Kretorakian civilians, female Sklorno, more than a few key, hurrah, and, of course, dozens of quith workers, warriors, and leaders. The crowd parted for the three men as they walked into the bar, mostly because the ever-scowling Tweedy led the way, head tilted down, eyes peering out from his thick eyebrows. Krakens rule the universe scrolled across his forehead. The bar's counter was a black, onyx-like surface set at just two feet off the ground, the perfect height for quith workers to sit and relax. Quentin, Tweedy, and Yasud sat at three seats, which seemed to magically open before them as three normal-sized humans got up and left upon their approach. Bartender! Yasud screamed as he sat. A wide, white-toothed smile nearly split his face in two. Bartender! Three millers! A quith worker waddled over. A shriveled stub on his left cheek remained of what had once matched the yellow and orange furred pedipalp on his right. He reached under the bar and quickly served up three mag cans of Miller. Yasud, still smiling, ceremoniously opened all three cans, passing one to Quentin and one to John Tweedy. Tonight we drink to turning things around, Yasud said. He held his can high. Here's to kicking in the demolition's face. Oh, yep. All three men drank as the crowd, obviously demolition fans, let out low-volume jeers. Quentin noticed how many beings wore demolition clothing of one type or another. Purple hats and jackets and shirts marked with three white stripes. Quentin took a couple of swallows. When he set his can down, Yasud and Tweedy were still drinking. Both men drained their mag cans, hit the decompress button on the top, and set the now decharged and empty metal rings on the bar top. Bartender! Yasud screamed. Another round, please! John Tweedy poked a finger at Quentin's can, still three-quarters full. What's the matter, rookie? Not thirsty? Uh, we got a game in two days. So? so? Yasud and Tweedy said in unison. I'm not going to get drunk. We got to be at our best for this game. Tweedy waved a hand in front of his face as if Quentin had farted. Dang, backwater. I thought you were fun, like Yasud here. Yasud, smiling, just shrugged. I'm fun, Quentin said. I just don't want to mess anything up this week. Yeah, you're tons of fun, Yasud said. The way you spend all your time in the VR room, man, you are a regular ball of laughs. I want to party with you, kid. Tweedy laughed. Quentin felt his face turn a bit red. Hey, I'm out tonight, right? You gotta give me that much. Yasud nodded vigorously. Oh, yep, you're right. You're here, so I'll just quit bagging on you. The second round hit the bar top. Within seconds, John and Yasud had knocked that one back as well. Bartender! Yasud screamed. Quentin slowly shook his head. It was going to be a long night. Right about the time John Tweedy, now eight beers heavier, started challenging anyone and everyone in the bar to a fight, Quentin, only two beers heavier, walked outside. He had a good feeling he'd need a grav cab to get Tweedy and Yasud back to their rooms. How they could hope to practice the next day was beyond Quentin's understanding. The streets remained packed with grav cars. 
Pedestrians filled the sidewalks, moved in and out of the bars and buildings. The green-tinged buildings soared above, their endless network of arms reaching out to each other like tentacled lovers caught in a freeze frame. A pair of human, hand-holding women walked by, one with blue skin, the other with white, both wearing matching see-through bodysuits that left nothing to the imagination. A month ago, he would have sneered at the two shameless women, both for their sinful dress and for the color of their skin. Now, however, something did rise as they walked by, but it wasn't his lip. You're changing so fast you can barely keep score. Maybe it was being immersed in alien cultures that made even blue and white-skinned women look alluring. They didn't seem so... so different anymore. Not like they had back on Makovi, where you only saw colored skin in the holos. The white-skinned girl turned and looked at him as she walked by, her blue-painted lips flashing a seductive smile. He watched her walk down the sidewalk, his eyes following first her shapely booty, then her legs, then her friend's booty, then her friend's legs, then Magon. Magon? Quentin blinked twice, but there was nothing wrong with his vision. Magon, the Kretorakian representative of the Toe Pirates, was two buildings down the street dressed in a fuchsia suit with yellow stripes, and waving at him with one wing. No, not waving. Beckoning. Quentin felt his face flush red. He looked around quickly, but saw no one he recognized, and no one staring at him. Well, no unusual stares, anyway. A seven-foot-tall being drew plenty of stares in a city where the average citizen stood just over four feet tall. Magon waved again this time faster, more demanding. Quentin swallowed, looked in the bar to make sure Yusud and Tweety weren't watching, then walked to Magon. What do you want? Quentin said. We can't be seen together. A chance you'll have to take. Karani Akolak has a message for you. Well, then make it quick. I'll only be a second. Relax. I just wanted to let you know you did a good job last week. Your effort looked very convincing, yet you still lost by 25 points. Quentin suddenly realized that once he'd taken that first snap, he hadn't even thought about throwing the game. He felt doubly humiliated. First, because he'd considered tanking, and second, because he'd played his tail off, lost, and this bat thought he had done it on purpose. Quentin felt an anger brewing in him like he'd never felt before. Just keep it up, backwater. One more loss and you'll be wearing the blood red before tier one season starts. I'm just letting you know that I'm here, and I'm watching. Now piss off. I want to chase some tail. Quentin stood for a moment, then turned, the rage so thick in his head it was hard to think. One more loss. The phrase echoed in his mind. The Toe Pirates, his childhood dream, and all he needed was one more loss. He walked towards the bar. It was time to get those two drunks out of here and go back to the rooms. He was so mad, he didn't notice the things around him, like the crowd parting before him the way it had for John Tweedy, or the two huge key that blocked the sidewalk and weren't about to part for anybody. Quentin almost walked right into them. Excuse me, he said, but the key didn't move. Quentin looked at them for a moment, their expressionless black eyes staring back. Then he tried to walk around them. They moved to block his path. You guys got a problem? The key said nothing. A Kretorakian, 
This one dressed in lemon yellow with long flowing streamers of dark yellow flew up and perched on one of the key's shoulders. Quentin Barnes, the Kreiderakian said. My boss would like a word with you. Did the tow pirates think he was a moron? I already heard the sermon. Now leave me alone. You haven't heard anything, the Kreiderakian said, until you've heard it from the boss, and the boss wants to speak with you. I'm heading back to my room. Now get these beasts out of my way. The boss wants to talk with you now, the Kreiderakian said. The key moved quickly, multi-jointed arms reaching out. Quentin immediately started dodging to the left, but they were too close and he'd been caught off guard. Eight strong key arms grabbed him and held him concrete tight. Quentin and Toe, they scuttled into a building. It all happened so fast, Quentin barely knew what was happening before the key tossed him unceremoniously onto the floor. The noise of the street faded away behind a closed door. He stood up with an athlete's quickness, but the key were already off of him, backed up against the door to prevent his escape. The yellow-suited Kretorakian was also in the room, only now he was perched on the shoulder of a black and tan furred quith leader. This is bad, Quentin thought instantly. This is very bad. He wanted out, and he wanted out quickly. He leaned forward and started lunging for the key. They both pulled knives. He stopped short, almost stumbling into the glittering points. Knives wasn't the right word. He'd used knives in his military training. Knives were a foot long at most. These blades were three feet long, serrated on one side, gleaming sharpness on the other. Stop being a pansy, the quith leader said. You're here until I tell you to leave, so stop being a pansy. Quentin backed away from the sword-wielding key. The room had another door, but it was behind the quith leader. Quentin suspected if he rushed for that way out, the key might cut him down before he could get the thing open. I am Mopuk the Sneaky, the quith leader said. He then gestured to the Kretorakian. This is Sobox. If you see Sobox again, know that he is carrying my voice. I don't care if he's carrying your nuts in a paper baggie. You want to tell me what this is all about? This is about Don Pine. Quentin hadn't expected that. What about him? He works for me, Mopook said. You might say he's a seasonal employee. Donald Pine owes me a lot of money. He pays off his debts by playing the way I tell him to play. Quentin felt stunned. You're trying to tell me that Pine throws games for you? Mopook's petty palps quivered once. Well, then you're out of luck, moron, because Pine's hurt and I'm playing this week. That's why you're here, Mopook said. I want the demolition to win. You will make sure that happens. Quentin was getting tired of people telling him to lose. Damn tired. There's cash in it for you, Mopook said. He held out one petty palp, into which Sobox dropped a credit chit. Mopook tossed it to Quentin. That's a chit for a half million. I believe your entire salary for the season is only one million? Quentin looked at the small black chit. Indeed, the readout said C-500,000. The payable button, however, did not glow the blue of an active transaction. One million, what a joke, Sobox said. 
You need an agent, Backwater. Just take care of business and that light glows blue, Mopook said. Make sure the demolition wins by at least a touchdown. That's all you have to do. Quentin stared at the chit. Five hundred thousand. That was half of what he made for the whole season. More than half if he counted in the tithe he had to pay to the purest nation. And hell, he'd probably lose anyways. He shook his head, trying to clear away such thoughts. He would not throw the game. And besides, if he did, Greedock might find out. And that would be very, very bad. Do you know who owns the Krakens? Quentin asked. Any idea at all, you moron? I know who owns the Krakens, Mopook said. And if you go run and tell him, he won't be happy. But right now, he doesn't know anything. And if he does find out, I'll be sure to implicate you in every way possible. I'm protected, Gatholi, but you're not. Who do you think is going to come out of this with their head still attached to their body? You just throw the game, and everybody is happy. Quentin shook his head. I got a better idea. Why don't you let me use those petty pelps to clean my toilet? I had some tower food, didn't agree with me, and it's a mess. Your furry little things would clean it up real good. Sobox flapped once and the key were on him. There was no space to maneuver in the small room. Quentin managed one good punch at the first key, but didn't know if his blow did any damage before he went down under a thousand pounds of heavy alien. He felt sudden blows to his ribs and one to his jaw. The world spun awkwardly around him as the weight suddenly lifted. Quentin slowly stood up, rubbing his jaw, his ribs feeling like someone had jabbed a baseball bat into him handle first. He felt something in his mouth. He spit. His front right tooth shot out and landed in a loogie of his blood. Damn it, I just finished growing that thing back. Now shut up and listen, Mopook said. I'm done negotiating. The money... It's off the table. No more deal there. You blew it. The demolition win. You do it for free. End of story. And they win by a touchdown. You got that? Seven points at least. If this doesn't happen, you're going back to the purest nation in a coffin. Quentin looked at the two key. He was stuck in this room. And if they wanted, they could easily kill him. Yeah, he said. The word coming out stilted from his already swelling jaw. Yeah, I got it. One of the key opened the door and stood aside. Quentin walked out onto the busy street. The door shut behind him. In the climate-ravaged world of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. In a time when the world outside is unsafe, it's vital for Pura's existence that people rally behind the purpose of the city, and Demetria Lopez, head of the city's public relations, tirelessly promotes its idyllic image. But when she stumbles on a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. 
You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. Red, no-touch jersey flapping in a light breeze, Quentin dropped back and planted. His feet slid slightly on white tyrolic. The footing felt like grass, if you covered grass with a light coating of kitchen grease, that is. He was quickly adjusting to the slickness. He looked downfield to his primary receiver and gunned the pass to Haywick. The ball covered 15 yards in a half second and hit Haywick dead on. Good job, Barnes! Hokor called in his headset. Thanks, coach. It was strange to hear a compliment, and this had been Hokor's fourth of the practice. Everything seemed to be flowing now. The players, both offense and defense, part of a huge dance. More and more he knew where each receiver would move and where their defensive dance partner would move in response. Things were starting to feel natural, the way they had back on McCovey. Still, this was against a defense he practiced with not only daily, but nightly as well. He'd started to subconsciously absorb the aggressive tendencies of Berea and Stockbridge, the one-step-too-late break of Perth, and the too-cautious defense of Davenport. Against the demolition's top-rated pass defense, however, it would be a different story. You're looking good, Backwater. Quentin turned to look at Donald Pine, who was dressed in civvy clothes. The crutches were gone, replaced by just a cane. The cane made him look like the old man that he was. How long had he been throwing games? Quentin could barely look at Pine without feeling sick and angry. One of the best quarterbacks of all time, and he threw games like some punk. Bend your left knee more when you drop back, Pine said. You're handling the slickness okay now, but in the second half, the field will be really beat up and way more slippery. 
You need that extra springiness a Bentley will give you to keep your balance. Quentin nodded, but he didn't say anything. Once again, he couldn't trust what Pine had to say. Had Mopuk and company told Pine to make sure Quentin tanked? Was Pine going to play subversive mind games to ensure a loss? A long whistle blew as Hokor's cart descended to the 50-yard line. The team gathered from all over the field. Practice was over, and Hokor had to cover any last important notes before the players headed to the locker room. Tomorrow, the same field would be filled with 110,000 screaming fans, as well as 53 players wearing the multi-shaded purple of the Sky Demolition. Quentin turned away from Pine and jogged to the midfield gathering. Tomorrow was game day. Do or die day. One more loss, and the season was shot. Not under my watch. The team probably wouldn't make the Tier 2 tournament, but if that happened... It would be because Don Pine threw a game, not Quentin Barnes. Forget Pine. Forget Mopuk. Hell, for that matter, forget the Toe Pirates. Quentin wasn't taking a dive for anyone. He would not let his teammates down. Live feed from UBS Game Day Holocast coverage. Hello, football fans, and welcome back to this UBS Holocast of GFL football. This is Masara the Observant, here with Chick McGee, the galaxy's favorite color commentator. Well, Chick, despite the score, we've seen some good football in the first half. The demolition is up 14-3, but the Kraken's defense has played well. You've got that right, Masara. Let's take a look at the Bombay Gin Halftime Stat Board. Nothing eases a worker's day like the tasty taste of gin from Bombay. Mmm, that's tasty. Chick, you shouldn't be drinking that in the booth. Hey, now can I endorse it without sampling the product? Brady Antonabi is showing why he's one of the top-rated passers in the Quith Irradiated. He's 12 of 17 for 203 yards and a pair of touchdowns, both to San Mateo. The Kraken secondary has done a good job of containing the demolition pass attack, but gave up two big plays, a 68-yard TD strike from Montanabi to San Mateo and another 27-yard TD that came on a crucial third and 12 right at the end of the half. If they'd held them there, the Krakens would only be back by a touchdown. Chick, what does the Krakens' offense have to do to put some points on the board? Well, Masara, they've got to do three things. First, rookie quarterback Quentin Barnes has to work on his footing. He's not used to playing on this kind of surface. He's already fallen twice on his dropbacks, slipping when he plants to step up and throw. Second, the Krakens have to start blocking. The demo has sacked Barnes three times so far, knocked him down 3-4, and hurried him another four. Barnes has thrown two interceptions, both caused by heavy pass rush pressure. If it wasn't for his running ability, the Krakens would be worse off than they already are. Barnes has 26 yards on the ground on five rushing attempts, all of them scrambles. (laughs) <laughs> I'll tell you, that human has been chewed up like a Scalorno larvae during a famine. Um, Chick, I hardly think our Scalorno viewers would appreciate that. Yes, you're right there, Masara. Sorry, folks. Sometimes this old game of football gets me so fired up I slip back into cute colloquialisms. No offense intended. So let's move on. We've got better footing, then blocking. What's the third thing? Masara, the third thing is play calling. Hokor the hook chest is being very predictable. 
The Krakens are running first, throwing second, and the Demolition knows it. The only time the Krakens throw is when they have to throw. Then the Demolition brings Yala the Biter on a blitz almost every time. So why isn't Barnes changing the plays at the line? You got me, Masara. The kid seems to know the offense very well, but either he's afraid to change the play or Hokor isn't letting him audible. Next up, we'll take a look at the first half highlights. Brought to you by Jew Kill Killock Shipping. Remember, if you've got to ship it across the galaxy, don't you want to ship it with a key? Any way you look at it, Chick, it seems something's got to change if the Krakens are going to get back in this game. You got that right, Masara. Otherwise, the Krakens have about as much chance as a naked nun at a purest nation rapist convention. Chick, now come on! Sorry, Masara. Sorry, folks at home. Quentin hissed once as Doc wrapped the cool blue patch around the right side of his neck. He'd been tackled by the neck on the last sack, a key arm tearing away a good six square inches of skin. He thought he'd been in the clear, but still hadn't accounted for how far the key could jump out of a gather. The right side of Quentin's jersey was deeply stained with his own blood, and he couldn't swallow without an explosion of throbbing pain. The patch's sting set in immediately. It only added to his anger. Pine sat on his left, Kane in hand, and Yitzhak sat on his right. We've got to execute better on first down, Hokor told the assembled players. We're not getting off to a good start. That's because all you want to do is hand the ball off to Fayed. And we've got to start blocking on the offensive line. I don't care what cultural crap you care dealing with, but block! Block. That's right, Hokor. Now you're really leading them, aren't you, you pint-sized idiot? Defensively, we've got to get our coverages in sync. Block. Crap, 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 this hurts. Antanabe is taking advantage of every blown rotation. I'm tired of getting sacked, you scumbags. So let's get back to our game plan. We don't... Game plan? Quentin stood so suddenly his chair shot out from behind him. The game plan is not for me to spend four quarters getting pummeled like a half-frozen round bug. Barnes, sit down and... I'm sick of it. Quentin strode towards the key linemen. They sat on one side of the locker room, a huge mass of dangerous strength, dressed in orange jerseys and multi-legged orange leg armor stained white from the oily field. You call that blocking? You garbage-eating cowardly scumbags! Scumbags! Barnes! Shut up, half-pint! Quentin flashed a wide-eyed stare at Hokor before turning back to the key lineman. Pine leaned over to Yitzhak. He's lost it. Yitzhak leaned back. Yeah, should we help him? Pine shrugged. No, this is kind of fun. They'll either block for him or eat him. I'm not sure which. You worthless losers! You're not fit to clean the toilets of this place, you weak-willed pansies! After this game, we're going to settle up, Salamanders. Settle up with a lot of you. The key didn't move a muscle. Quentin turned and stormed out of the locker room, stopping along the way to kick over a water bucket and smash a chair into the wall. There was a brief silence, broken by an angry bark from Shoto Thicket. No, no, don't talk threats, Pine said. He spoke quietly, but his voice carried to every ear. When he talked, the entire team turned to look at him. Yeah, he insulted you, and you deserve it. 
all five of you, and you know it. The third quarter was pure torture. Quentin saw play after play where he could have audibled to a pass that would have burned the defense, but he stuck to the plays that Hokor called. Antonabi, however, didn't seem to have such restrictions. He struck for a 24-yard touchdown pass at the end of the third, putting the demolition up 21-3 going into the fourth quarter. The blocking, however, seemed somewhat improved. Quentin had time to set up and survey the field. He went 6 of 10 for 34 yards in the third quarter, but couldn't string together enough passes to constitute a drive. With that extra time to step up, however, he started marking defensive nuances. Slowly but steadily, his mind began to place the demolition defenders like a chess master marking out his opponent's likely moves. With 10 minutes and 2 seconds to play in the fourth quarter, the Kraken's D forced a punt, which Richfield returned to the demolition 45. Quentin couldn't stand it any longer. They had to score, and they had to score now. He ran to Hokor. Coach, Quentin said as he knelt down. Coach, how about letting me audible out there? Just run the plays I call, Barnes. But, Coach, we're losing. I know that, Barnes. Now shut up. I'm going to turn you loose this time. Just do what I say and run the plays that I call. Got it? Quentin felt frustration welling up inside of him, but he nodded. We've run on seven of the last eight first downs, Hokor said. Go deep this time. Z-set, play action, 42 fly. Quentin felt his pulse quicken. He ran onto the field. Z-set put two tight ends in the game, along with Fayad and Perilous, the fullback. The only receiver would be Haywick on the left flank. Budoshwek snapped it, and Quentin turned to the left, stabbing the ball towards the onrushing Fayad. He pulled it away at the last second, putting the ball on his left hip and letting his right hand brush Fayed's belly. Fayed put both arms together, just as he would if he'd been handed the ball and smashed into the line. The Krakens hadn't used play action all day, and the fake drew in the run-oriented defense. Quentin tucked down to hide the ball even as he dropped back. After five steps, he turned and stood and saw Yala the Biter already through the line and coming right at him. Quentin juked left, which Yala instantly matched. Quentin started to juke right, his patented double move that always got him out of trouble in the PNFL. But in a millisecond's time, he knew Yala could effortlessly mirror that move with the amazing lateral movement and reaction time of a Quith warrior. Quentin's instincts took over. He suddenly saw Yala's direction as if there were an arrow pointing forward, like a video game, and he sensed the linebacker's force and momentum like a growing pressure in his thoughts. Timing. It's all in the timing. Yala leaned forward to deliver the hit, suddenly coming off all fours, pedipalps and arms reaching out. At just that instant, Quentin spun violently to the right. The quarterback pushed off with his right hand as he spun, the ball in his left hand his body between Yala and the ball. He spun so fast, he almost fell over from the momentum. But the move worked. Juke moves took too much time against Quith Warriors. But a spin move, just as Yala came off all fours to deliver the hit, that didn't give the linebacker enough time to react. One millisecond Quentin was there, 
The next, he was two feet right of where he had been. Yala's momentum carried him past the spinning quarterback, but his powerful pedipalps grabbed a double handful of jersey on the way past. Quentin felt himself sliding backwards on the slick white surface. He instinctively tucked the ball and started pumping his legs with short, quick, jabbing steps. The quith linebacker fell to the ground. Quentin planted his legs and pushed against the weight dragging him down. A ripping sound, and suddenly Quentin lurched forward, free to move once again. He instantly stood tall and looked downfield. Haywick streaked down the sidelines, a full two steps ahead of her defender. Quentin fired the ball downfield high and long. As usual, he had no problem hitting an open receiver. Haywick sailed 15 feet into the air, caught the ball, and landed in full stride. The left cornerback was behind her and didn't stand a chance. The safety came over to help, but she'd also lost a step with the play-action fake. Haywick strode into the end zone untouched. The crowd booed, but without much intensity. Quentin flipped them off en masse as he ran off the field, his torn jersey flapping around him. Morningstar knocked in the extra point, cutting the lead to 21-10. Quentin sat on the bench, his heart racing, a feeling of pure ecstasy coursing through his brain. Teammates came up to shake his hand, slap his shoulder pads, or just grunt some unintelligible alien words of encouragement. Don Pine slid onto the bench next to him. You gotta watch Yella's feet, he said. He's showing blitz when he's on his toes. When he's flat-footed, he's in run coverage. Quentin nodded. He didn't know if he could trust Pine, but that bit of advice sounded reliable. Pine smiled and thumped Quentin on the shoulder pad. Nice pass, kid. You just need a couple more. Pine hobbled away. Masal the efficient approached with a box held in his arms. He set it down and removed a gleaming metal device that looked like a combination of a small pistol and a pair of pliers. Masal, what the hell is that? Or your uniform, Masal said. His strong pedipalps lined up the torn edges of Quentin's jersey. Masal pinched the bottom edges together and slid them into the opening of the gun pliers. The machine made a small whirring noise, and Masal expertly slid it up the length of the ripped Kevlar fabric, knitting the shreds into an ugly but neat line. Hey, not bad, Quentin said, as he pulled at the new seam. It held tight. Masal simply bowed and scuttled off to attend to some other managerial duty. You have been listening to The Rookie, Season 1 of the Galactic Football League Series. Produced by Ariok Morningstar, with post-production by Steve Rickyberg. Written and performed by Scott Sigler. For more information on Scott and more free stories, go to scottsigler.com. Theme music is the song The Kids Are Coming For You by the band Super Weapon. Superweaponband.com. You 
every five minutes. A transplant candidate dies while waiting for a compatible heart, liver, or kidney. Imagine a technology that could provide those life-saving transplant organs for a high price and imagine what a company would do to monopolize that technology. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists unlocks this holy grail of medicine by reverse engineering the genomes of all mammals, creating an animal with organs perfectly suitable for human transplantation. They envisioned a docile herd animal, but one team member had another, darker vision. This ancestor is anything but docile. The team's work spawns something big, something evil, something very, very hungry. Ancestor is a complete serialized fiction podcast by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler with all episodes available. Binge the entire story now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. 